And now, now, it's the Mike Kelter Show. It is 8.56 on the Mike Caldas Show. It's 102.5 The Bone. Uh, in a couple of minutes, we're going to talk to a gentleman named Desmond Child, who has, in one way or another, invaded your life, whether you know it or not. He has written 80. 80, is that right? I got to read this from the thing to make sure I get this right. Uh, 80 top 40 hits. 80 Crazy. top 40 hits. Uh, selling over 500 million records worldwide with bands like Bon Jovi, Share, uh, Michael Bolton, Aerosmith, Alice Cooper. Did you say Katy Perry this morning? Katy Perry, Katy Perry. Yeah, yeah. All uh, and then the biggest hit, Ricky Martin's "Living La Vida Loca," was written by this guy, Desmond Child. So he's got a book out. It's called "Living on a Prayer: Big Songs, Big Life." I've known about this guy since I was in high school because I loved "Slippery When Wet." And I watched all the videos and behind-the-scene documentaries and stuff, and he was always uh, in there because he would add something to these songs that these people had uh, to make them hits. By the way, he wrote like about 12 or 15 songs for Ricky. Uh, Live in La Vida Loca, She Bangs, uh, Nobody Wants to Be Lonely, Shake Your Bon Bon. Like, he wrote Shake a, bon a ton of them. Well, remember, She Bangs became famous William, from what's William Hung. Yeah. <laughs> William Hung made She Bangs the best song ever. Man, William Hung's old now. Like, yeah. like, like, can oh, you yeah. say my son has no idea who William Hung is? No, you know? no. What do you think? What do you think made him the most money? Out of all these songs? Ooh. I mean, he got Kiss, Bon Jovi, Aerosmith, Alice Cooper, Ricky Martin, Katy Perry. Katy Perry's probably made him a ton of money because she's the newest. Yeah, you know? but I got to think Bon Jovi. You give love a bad name and live it on a prayer. Yeah. I mean, come on. Mm. I'm looking here. Kiss has got a, yeah, I, I would say that's probably, depending on what his points were for the album, you know what I mean? Like what he gets for that. I mean, uh, I, that sold uh, hundreds of millions of records just that alone. He wrote uh, Poison for Alice Cooper, which kind of brought Alice Cooper back. Like Alice Cooper Produced was, by Bon Jovi, by the way. Yeah, but like Alice Cooper was obviously big earlier, and right. then in the 80s, all the hair metal type stuff, whatever, and he came out with that, and it kind of fit right in, you know, so that made him back into the fold again yeah and uh you know there's songs that you you laugh because you hear michael bolton and uh and kiss but michael bolton wrote kiss songs too i mean those guys were all writing for each other and and it was all in that time period where yeah the songs are surprisingly similar between kiss and michael bolton mm -hmm. if you really think about it if you, yeah. take, if you take a michael bolton song and you throw some heavy guitar in there and speed it up a little bit you got a kiss song which is crazy to think about well, this guy, I, I mean, I, I am, I am obsessed. I think the way you people are, like, whenever we do under oath, the first thing everybody wants to be like, how much does this guy make? How much does that guy make? And nobody ever really could talk about that stuff. It's weird because if you do talk about it, it's like they do with me. Every time I talk about stuff that's real, everybody's like, oh, he breaks what how much money he has. Then if you don't talk about it, they think you're hiding something. So you're like, well, where, what is the proper middle ground? And it's just, it's not, it's not, um, uh, you know, it's not classy to just talk about your money or other people's money or ask other people how they make. That's why that scene in, in uh, Wolf of Wall Street where he's like, how much money you make? 
And he's like, like what, this month? And he, mm. he wants to be like, I made uh, 80 grand, but he doesn't want to say, he doesn't want to come across like he's bragging, but they asked, you know, that's it. Uh, they're showing the annual zombie bike ride. Where is that? Is that here in Florida? Key West. Key West. Oh, because it's Fantasy Fest, isn't it? Oh. Am I right about that? Oh, yeah. Some lady that I follow on Instagram did a video uh, of her with no shirt on at oh, Fantasy yeah. Fest, Hell but yeah. she was standing behind a fence, so you couldn't see her nippy nips. And uh, I thought, well, that's got to be a fun time. What yeah, it is uh, going on right now until the 29th, the 20th <laughs> to the 29th down in Key West. What's the what's the thing about um, walking around topless if you're a woman? Like, oh, it's got to feel great. Yeah. Does it? Free oh, I'm sure, yeah. Very freeing. I don't know. Like I, I love, imagine. I love walking around naked. At you should home, at yeah. home, but I can't. Why can't you do it here? Because it's illegal. No, like, oh. uh, like, uh, I, in all seriousness, I'm not. I'm being silly but serious at the same time. If you were in the studio and you're like, I just want to take my bra off and take my shirt off, we wouldn't care. Yeah, but then there's pictures and cameras and yeah. everything like that's where. I'm oh, like, don't worry, there won't be any video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no danger, no danger. Yeah. <laughs> right, but that would be the other side of it. But I mean, if you're just like, if I'm in another country and there's a topless beach, I, yeah, like that would be so freeing. Well, I I went in France to the beach one time and there were naked weird old ladies around me and uh, it wasn't it wasn't like um, offensive or anything, but it was odd to see so many naked old broads. Being naked outside is fun, though. Is it? Yeah. I don't know. I don't. I, look, I'm too fat to be running around shirtless, let alone naked. I don't want to have a button penis and a big belly hanging out, so I'm not doing either one of those things. My wife. Isn't that Christmas song? <laughs> <laughs> With his little button penis. <laughs> There's no corncob pipe over here. And, uh, and uh, my wife wears a bra to sleep. She's more comfortable not squishing everything. Mm. Yeah, I always thought that that was weird. I always, the first, every girl I ever dated always took her bra off yeah. when she went to bed. My wife has to make sure hers is on. She's more comfortable that way. Mm. That's weird. Got to keep things right and tight. Yeah. <sighs> Not me, man. I like I like it flowing. I, I always used to give Galvin a hard time because he would wear no underwear. And I'd see it, and I'd go, no, I'm kidding. We'd talk <laughs> about it, and he'd be like, yeah, I don't I never wear underwear. And I'd go, oh, that's just so hard for me to But now when I'm wearing shorts, I could do that. Yeah, right? Lucy, you Jeans, though, yeah. too much. All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, let's go to the hotline, and welcome to the show for the first time. This is Desmond Child. Desmond, how are you, sir? Hey, Mike. Hey, it is a uh, a pleasure How's to talk going? to you. I'm, I'm a longtime admirer of yours. I, am a, I follow you on Instagram, and I also own your uh, your album. How do you like that? Which one? Discipline? Yeah, yeah, Discipline. Uh, I, I, I did not know at the time that I bought it that you were also a recording artist. I only knew you as a writer, and I saw it one time at a record show, and I bought it, and I was like, I guarantee you I'm the only one he talks to today on the radio that owns that album. <laughs> That's sort of sad. <laughs> sad statement. I, trust me, I didn't mean it that way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Desmond Child is ridiculously successful. I was just asking, I was just talking, commenting about how it's like impolite to ask people about money and stuff, but you've got to be loaded. Oh, I mean, you, that's what publishing and writing is where all the money is made in the music, isn't it? Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you <laughs> spent it, though. I spent it. I you, spent a bunch. Yeah, well, you got plenty of it. I would imagine. Like you're not in. You're not in a, a financial. No, I'm not set. I'm not set. That's why I keep working. 
you, you listen to me. If you're not set, you must be buying five. You must be buying things Elton John style. Give me fifty of these and thirty of these. Mm, well, maybe. A <laughs> V-neck T-shirt. Like a hundred of them. <laughs> uh, when do you it's ever like have my uniform? <laughs> do you ever have to write a song for somebody that you don't like when you're like, oh man, this is a good song. I hate to give it to this person. You don't have to say who it is, but has that ever happened before? No, not really. I mean, I, I'm usually collaborating, and sometimes the chemistry isn't there. You know, it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, um, I don't know. Yeah. But sometimes it still works anyway. So, you know, I just keep plowing ahead and trying to come up with great ideas. Do you do you realize what you're, like, where it comes from with you? Like, you listen to, like, I, I watched a documentary on Clive Davis where he was working, like, in accounting, and all of a sudden he becomes a guy who's running the company because he could just tell when something's a hit and when it's not. Do you? When did you realize that you had that talent to turn something really from mediocre to fantastic? Well, you know, I, I grew up in music. My mother was the Cuban songwriter Elena Casals, known as La Musa. And there was always a song being written and always this dream that we're going to make it big and move to Miami Beach. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, instead of living in Liberty City, where we lived in Miami, uh, and the projects there. Oh, yeah. And, um, well, it came to be. I bought four mansions and I gave her one. <laughs> what is now? I'm familiar. I used to live in Miami, so I'm very familiar with those neighborhoods. What was the one thing that got you out of Liberty City? Well, one is running away, right. <laughs> and I moved into a commune, <laughs> and uh, I also lied about my address so I could go to Miami Beach schools. Oh, that's and hilarious. So, uh, because my cousins were there, and I wanted to be part of their social scene. But also, you know, it was huge difference between, you know, Miami Beach schools, that they were public schools, and the schools that, that I went to, Miami Edison, you know, elementary and Miami Edison junior high. I mean, it was like it is today. Not not all things are equal. No, no, it was terrible. I lived in Miami Lakes where all the rich people lived, and I was living with somebody. I wasn't rich. And then uh, I worked at Miami Jackson High School. So I know the I know the areas, and I know the, the difference in the classes. What's the first uh, you know thing for you in songwriting that got you to be put on the map? Well, I had my group, Desmond Child and Rouge, and we got signed to Capitol Records. And while we were making our first record, we were still performing at a little place called Tracks. It was underground on West 72nd Street in New York City. And I sang with three beautiful women, and um, we were getting ready to go on, and this guy pulled the curtain open like we were on the side of the curtain. He said, hey, I'm Paul Stanley of Kiss. And we were like, what? We didn't know what he looked like. They always had their face covered. <laughs> I said, really? And they said, yeah. I just want to let you guys know that sitting at the front table is George Harrison of the Beatles. Oh, wow. I was like, what? And so, you know, I, I, I peeked and it was like I almost fainted. There he was, you know, with yeah. big white teeth and everything. <laughs> and so um, then after the show, Paul came backstage and he said, you know, I think you guys are good. We should try writing a song. So we wrote a song for Desmond Sean Rouge called The Fight. And uh, then then it was like his turn, you know. And so we wrote a song called I Was Made for Loving You. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which was a I little bit of a little bit of a hit. Of that bargain. <laughs> yeah. I got the better uh, part of that bargain, right? 
Wow. <laughs> that, is cra- that is crazy. So that was your first big smash was, was you and Paul Stanley. And yeah, I would yeah, think... global I- smash, and I never looked back. Yeah. You know, and I, I got and- my mom out of the ghetto. We you know, moved her to Miami Beach, and uh, we just, you know, kept going from there. All right. Can I ask you a real personal question? Yes. Okay. I'm a straight guy. Yes. I've been married for 20 years. I know you're a gay guy. You're working with John Bon Jovi in his 20s. I'm pretty sure as a straight guy, I would have wanted to bang John Bon Jovi when he was in his 20s. How are you not super attracted to him while you're working with him? I don't know, you know. <laughs> I, ne- I never really felt that way about him. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. I'm straight I and probably, I thought that. I would have probably gone for Richie. I would have gone for Richie. <laughs> so, would my, yeah. so would I. So would I. You know, uh, no, the thing about John is that we kind of like look too alike. You know, it was like, no. Yeah, but you got, but you, uh, you really helped those guys. I mean, they, they were, uh, doing okay. And then once they got with you with the songwriting and that album became the biggest thing in the eighties. I mean, that, that really turned that whole day. And I heard John give you a shout out at the rock and roll hall of fame because they got to know that, uh, once you put your touch on their songs, they, they blew up, man. I mean, that was, that was insane. Well, the chemistry was great. You know, it really was from the very first day that I met them, I, I had a, a title in my back pocket, You Give Love a Bad Name. And I pulled it out. It was literally on a little piece of paper. And I said it. And all of a sudden, John's face lit up, you know, like, wow, like the sun came out. And, you know, it, again, you know, like never saw so many teeth. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and uh, he had a song called Shot Through the Heart on a previous record. Right. And w- neither of us wants to let a good hook go down the tubes. So he threw that one down, and then it was like uh, Shot Through the Heart and You're Too Blame. And then the three of us, you know, said at the same time, You give them <laughs> a bad name. That's... And it was like our first three fist in the air bump. Um, and the next song we wrote was Living on a Prayer. It was like two for two. And, um, you know, it, it really did change history because I brought a different style uh, to the stuff that they were doing. They were doing, like, more like hot. And I brought a kind of R&B kind of pulse to it, like the same thing that, you know, I did with Kiss. With um, I was made for loving you. It had a kind of Motown feel. Yeah. And so I, I think that I, I had read from some professor that the most successful music um, that most people love all over the world has a kind of R&B underneath uh, feeling. Yeah, it's got to have so, a little groove. Uh, you know, look at dude looks, look at dude looks like a lady. Yeah. You know, that has that, that pulse. Who is your favorite person to write for, if you have any? I mean, I know it's going to probably be hard to say, but I know you got to have one that you maybe, or a couple that you lean towards. Bon- Bonnie Tyler. Bonnie Tyler, totally clips of the Bonnie Tyler? Yeah, I produced a whole album with her. That's great. And, uh, you know, I just love her, love her. Wow. She's the best person, full of, you know, such a big heart and that cackle, that laugh, that <laughs> scratchy voice. And it totally fit the, the music that I, you know, I was, you know, making. And so I love this song that we wrote for her called Hide Your Heart. Better hide your heart, better hold on tight. The kiss song. You, know, you remember that one? I mean, a lot of people, like, covered that song. And Kiss and, do that? Um, you know, Kiss did it. A- yeah. A- really did it. But uh, Paul Stanley was a co-writer on that with Holly Knight. 
We gave it to Bonnie first. I learned in this interview, you're a big fat liar because I guarantee you, you have money on top of money in your house. Every song that you mentioned was a major, major smash. This guy, I'm telling you right now, this book, he's got a book out. It's called Living on a Prayer, Big Songs, Big Life. This is not just a guy who writes music, but the guy who also was a Cuban refugee, moved over to Miami, and you heard him talk about how he was dirt poor and worked his way not only into uh, enough money to move his mom into a nice place, but owns four mansions. Like This is a guy who really, really lives the American dream. I, I, I got to tell you, I'm very happy to talk to you today because I've been a longtime admirer of your music and your work, and uh, I feel like I got a little glimpse into your life on Instagram, and you are really, you're going to go down in, in musical history as one of the greatest songwriters to ever, ever do it with the Beatles and those sorts of people. So I hope this book is huge for you. Oh, thank you so much. I'm, I'm like, finally, it took me seven years to finish it. It was, it was an ordeal. And yeah. I just finished the audiobook, which was even harder to say the words that I wrote down because so much of it is so emotional. Um, but I wanted my sons, uh, Roman and Nero, they're 21 now, to know me as more than just daddy with the open checkbook. <laughs> <laughs> I, wanted them to, I wanted them to know the real me inside, so maybe someday they'll read it. <laughs> I, I had to say, uh, they must think that that's very cool to have you as a dad that's done all these great things and work with so many great artists. So I'm sure that they think you're cool. And uh, I, I look forward to checking out the book, man. I really do. And I wish you more uh, continued success. Can I ask you real quick before you go? Because I know you're on thing. Who, what are you working on now? Like, you got yes. anybody that you're working with now? Well, I'm working with the Rasmus from Finland. They're okay. a rock band. Uh, I'm co-producing them with Marty Fredrickson. But I'm also, my big project is called Cuba Libre. And it's, it's a Broadway musical based on my family before and after the Cuban Revolution. Oh, and wow. It, I've been working on it since 2005. You know, it's taken longer than the Sistine Chapel. We're doing our next workshop in December, and it's it's such a, you know, kind of very difficult to to get a show to to work and to get up to Broadway and all that, but I've got it in my heart to do it. And so that's my big dream. Well, good luck to you, man. It's a pleasure to talk to you today. The book, again, is called Living on a Prayer, Big Songs, Big Life, Desmond Child. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Mike. Have a great day. See ya. There you go. Oh, dude, he's so rich. Yeah, yeah. He's so rich. Well, like, he's air- I got my own airplane rich. I'm looking on, you know, obviously the internet has different amounts and stuff, whatever, but all of them are well over $200 million, yes, which yes. I would say it's more than that. No, it's got to be more than that because he's probably maybe worth $200 million, but he's got residuals coming in for the rest of his life. Mm. I mean, I'm talking about this like I know what deals he cut, but, you know, just saying from that, I mean, think about it. There's not too many songwriters in the history of music that have that many number one hits with the Beatles probably being the Beatles, Michael Jackson. He's got to be up there with them. Yeah. Crazy. It's got to be weird that, like, every time you're in a bar or something, you hear living on a prayer. <laughs> yeah, and, I wrote this. And you, th- yeah, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, it just, or at the time, you, you probably have no idea that it'll become such an iconic, huge, massive song that's generational. So in that album, they uh, they took the demos, brought them around the corner for the Slippery and Wet demos, and there was a pizza place, and they put the music on, and then they watched the reaction of the kids in the pizza place to see which songs they picked for the album. Yeah. That's how they did it. They used to call them the Pizza Parlor Jury. And that is, uh, that's the best way to see, you know, who's going, those are the people that are going to 
absorb your content. You got you could see their reactions without them even really realizing it. Um, but I, I mean, this guy they used to they used to call him the Touch because they had a song. He was a collaborator. He didn't necessarily write all the songs, but he wrote a song, and you're like, this is a good song. And then you give it to him, and you get it back, and you're like, now this is a great song. And that's the that's the talent. These people just are born with knowing what it is going to take to be you know better than everybody else and to do it so many times like everybody's got like one or two right it's like you know he just becomes a guy that just you know everything he touches just turns to and then and then uh you get him with uh paul stanley and then you get him with uh bonnie tyler who was huge in the 80s and you get him with bon jovi and then everybody wants to work with him everybody wants to yeah that opens door once you have one hit you know other people are like yeah this guy knows what he's doing also he seemed to crack the code with the r&b underlay you know he's like i i figured that out that that works yeah because everybody wants to nobody just wants a heavy 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 unless you're trying to get that kind of music for a hit everybody wants a little bit of a groove and wants something sure Oh, he was interesting, man. I wish he's one of those guys where I wish I could take it slow and talk to him for a half hour, you know, because the whole idea, uh, I used to date a girl whose family were Cuban refugees and the story of being in Cuba and having to leave and go through Jamaica and come to the United States. And then what, what, who was a doctor there and has to come here and be a waiter until they can get their, get back into school and all that stuff. It's a very interesting, uh, you know, story. And that's why a lot of times when I hear about uh, immigrants and stuff, I just laugh. The immigrants I know from Miami, most of them are great, upstanding citizens who've, you know, gone on to uh, be professors and scientists and those sort of things. And uh, everybody, those people, you're like, oh, well, they can stay. Yeah. But everybody else we're kicking out. <laughs> Mexicans get now we're like uh, I saw a thing the other day where they were like we're, they were looking to um, pick up the airlift that the Israeli um, people who are fleeing and bring them over here. And I'm like, so Mexicans is really what we don't like. Yeah. We just like the Mexicans. Or if they get a better transportation in here, then yeah. it's okay. Helicopter, good. Mm-hmm. Airplane, good. Running across the lake, bad. All right. Now it's all Venezuelans coming in, which I'm not well, mad no, at because they're gorgeous. Yeah. Only the girls. Oh. Only Venezuelan yeah. girls are allowed here. He was, hoping, he was hoping Richie would take it slow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I, think about it. When when uh, John, Same thing with George Michael. The first time I saw George Michael, I didn't know what to do. I was like, I don't know why this guy is. <laughs> I, he's, I think he's, Mesmerizing. Got, he's got beautiful Pretty. face. He's got two earrings, so I don't know what that means. It's, something's weird, and I like him, and I don't know why I have tingly <laughs> feelings. I didn't want to touch George Michael. Yeah. I just knew he was beautiful. And then uh, with Bon Jovi was so good looking. How do you not, how, if you're gay and you work with Bon Jovi or Ricky Martin, although Ricky Martin was gay too, but yeah. uh, how do you not, how, how are you not make like, moves? Uh, take a shot at this guy? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, not make the moves, but yeah. secretly be thinking about it, you know? Yeah, because if he was straight working with Cher, you'd be like, okay, yeah, I'm working with Cher. Cher. Yeah. Yeah. See what happens. What about it? Take, her right. to, uh, take her to Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> <laughs> I put that in my in my bank. I can't wait till Richie's back on the show and be like, you know, Desmond Chow wanted to bank. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got to take a break. Uh, it is the Mike Calta Show. We got some stuff to give away. Maybe we can do a little game when we come back. Sure. All right, 727-579-1025 or 800-771-1025. Shall we play a little Who's My Baby's Daddy? Uh, we could do whose tweet we didn't. We were gonna do it, and we pushed then, it off. God damn it! I yeah. love whose tweet. We'll do yeah. whose tweet next on one hundred two five The Bone. It's the Mike Kelta Show on one hundred two point five The Bone. It's lightning hockey on one hundred two point five The Bone.